major theme of the gospel is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, according to Matthew's gospel. And there are about a hundred references in the gospels and only 14 in the rest of the New Testament. The kingdom of God stands in opposition to the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of evil in the world. And when Jesus came, he began to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He said it was fulfilled at his coming. It was near at hand. So in his life, his death, his resurrection, uh, his teaching, uh, that all inaugurated the kingdom of God, and a second coming will be the consummation of it. Now Mark shows that the Lord Jesus has authority over the kingdom of Satan. In all these different ways he's been talking, his teaching, his healing, his miracles, the casting out of demons. And in his death and resurrection, he will further prove his power over sin, death, and hell. So he's the Savior King prophesied of old. And when he returns, his rule and realm will be visible and worldwide. The concept of the kingdom is further revealed in Mark chapter 4, as Jesus begins teaching parables. And when the disciples asked him to explain the parable of the sower, uh, Jesus connected that to his kingdom in verse 11 of chapter 4, where he says, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. So, uh, he is explaining to them what the kingdom of God entails, and he, he explains the parable after that. He gives more information about his kingdom and its growth. It tells his followers that the kingdom is meant to be exposed and that your relationship to it depends upon your response to what you hear concerning it. Then he focuses on two more parables that relate to the growth of God's kingdom. And although we may be involved in scattering the seed or the word of the gospel, its initial growth in the world is independent of human understanding and effort. Its growth is dependent upon the power of God and his word alone. Then we're also informed that although the kingdom begins in a very small way, it will blossom and grow into something phenomenal. And these parables would have served to encourage the disciples, if not immediately, then in the very near future. And they are the ones who accept the preaching and teaching of the Lord Jesus. They're going to be involved in uh, spreading the gospel and they will see the kingdom of God grow and prosper even through opposition and hardship. So may we take heart this morning to these truths in somewhat discouraging days. Our Heavenly Father, we pray today uh, that you would help us to see uh, the greatness of the kingdom of God. That although we're in a very small place and we have a small congregation there are great things to look forward to as we're involved in building up your kingdom. We pray, Lord, today that you'll help us to see that we are involved in hearing the word of God for our own personal growth. 
We're to be involved in spreading the seed that will grow under your supervision, and we can look forward to the harvest at the end of the age. Bless us with these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first thing I want you to see this morning from this passage is that the kingdom of God is intended to be revealed and received. So this portion here deals really more with a personal growth in the kingdom as one receives and accepts the word that Jesus is preaching. Now, the parable of the lamp shows us that Jesus intends his kingdom to be revealed, to be brought to the light. If we look at verse 21, it is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed. The obvious answer to that rhetorical question is no, it's not. It's supposed to be set up on a lampstand. That's what its purpose is, is to give light. So you think about the lamps of that day. They weren't anything like lamps uh, today. They were made of, uh, of clay. They would be shaped kind of like a little bowl with a spout on one end where this, the wick would go down into that. It'd have a little hole on the top where you could put a couple of teaspoons of, of oil, and the other end might have a handle. And it would be placed on a, uh, a piece of uh, clay or wood that was actually molded into the wall. And that would make, of course, the room light when it began to be dusk and later on when it's dark. So it wouldn't be a great idea to uh, put that on its shelf and then cover it with a basket. That would defeat the purpose of it. And a matter of fact, it might be a little dangerous because the baskets were made of woven reeds. It might well catch fire. Also, he says, you don't put it under a bed. We have to understand that's not really talking like a bed that we use today uh, that are raised up and uh, on a, a frame and everything. They had mats that they would lay down. They would take up during the day so they wouldn't have uh, to, to walk all over them. That probably refers to a um, low-lying couch that the a little bit more well-to-do people would have in their home where you would uh, dine with your family or with people who came over. Uh, And again, you wouldn't put it underneath that because you wouldn't be able to see the light. And again, it might have a problem with setting your table on fire. And that would be, of course, a danger to your family. So in each of these cases, the purpose of having the lamp is is going to be foiled. It's not going to give light to the home, and it might be something that's dangerous. So its purpose is to illuminate, to make what is dark become light. So how does this relate then to the kingdom of God? Well, first of all, there is a sense in which the kingdom of God is hidden. If you were to walk down the street and just pick out anybody and ask them if they knew what the kingdom of God is, they probably would have no idea unless they were a Christian. So you would have to explain it to them. You would be giving the word about it, and that would be their first exposure, their first enlightenment, to which they would be responsible to have a, uh, an answer or a response to it. So Jesus has explained to them at this point the parable of the soil. It's related to his kingdom. 
and his disciples have been given the knowledge to understand these things, the secret aspect of the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus wants everyone to know. But many, unfortunately, refuse to hear or to take it seriously. So what he wants people to know about the word conveying his kingdom uh, is received in different ways according to the parable of the soils. But the ultimate purpose of the gospel is not to hide it. It's not to make it unknown. It's to make it known. It's not to be kept a secret. It's to be exposed and revealed for what it is. And you go to verse 22 He says, there's nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. So although it has this secret aspect to it, he doesn't want it to remain that way. He wants people to understand exactly what it is. Now, this seems to be in tension with what he said back in verse 12, seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Well, we've already explained that that's talking about people on the outside. They may have had opportunities to hear, and they reject what they hear. They go hear Jesus another place, and they still keep rejecting. So that's talking about those who will not uh, receive what he says. They won't accept it. And uh, uh, the ultimate purpose of, of Christ's teaching is to give light, to illuminate the truth of his coming. It's got to be received by those who hear it, or it will, of course, do them no good. And that's why he ends up saying here in verse 23, anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. And we know that doesn't mean just hear it. It means listen to it. It means pay attention to it so that... Uh, you can receive it because really uh, eternity for you is at stake if you don't. Now, your participation and growth in the kingdom depends upon your reception of it. And this is what he's talking about in the next couple of verses here, verses 24 and 25. He says, take heed what you hear. In other words, not just hearing it, but how you hear it, how you listen to it, not in one ear, out the other, as often is the case, we have to be careful of taking heed to what we find in the word of God, what we hear from uh, pastors, teachers, teaching in the home, wherever it comes to us, our own reading. And this, incidentally, is a commandment. Not just to hear the word that's given, but to deeply consider it so that you can understand it. So you're to think about it seriously. You're to make application of it in your life. A lot of times we can sit down and read the word of God, say, I read the word today, and uh, by this evening you forgot all about it, and you didn't spend any time at all seeing how it might apply to you personally. So we have to be sure uh, that we're considering what type of soil we are as he taught that parable just a little bit ago, and how we're receiving the word of God. Even right now, as we sit in the pew, are we concentrating on hearing the word of God? Then he uses this metaphor of a measure. With the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He's used that in different contexts. But here, uh, how you 
make use of the word of God, how you listen to it, how you apply it, determines its value to you. It determines if you will understand it and then continue to grow through it. So to those who receive the word, more exposure and understanding will be given. So he's saying here, if you uh, measure it to yourself and you hear it and you listen to it, to you who hear more will be given. Now that just makes sense. Uh, If you uh, try to understand the word of God, the Lord will give you that understanding, then he can give you more and more and more. So that's the whole idea of growing in your relationship to the Lord through his word. He'll, he'll expose you to more, he'll give you more understanding, and that just keeps on uh, go, going and growing. So you, you're going to get out of it what you put into it, like the effort uh, that you put into your studies, going to school. Uh, in high school, I didn't put a lot of effort in the studying part. Uh, I probably had a C average or slightly above. Don't follow my example, okay? Not in high school anyways. My freshman year of college, same thing. I was interested in other things, involved in other things. The grades weren't all that important to me till the end of the year. It didn't look too hot. The following year, I started to wake up a little bit, do a little bit better. But really, not till I got to grad school uh, was I very concerned about my grades, taking things in, working at it, and doing well. That's what we have to do with the word of God. If you don't listen to the gospel of the kingdom, bad things are going to happen. You look at the end of verse uh, 25. But whosoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Okay, If you uh, have received the word of God, you have this, you have that, more is going to be given to you. But if you ignore it, you don't pay attention to it, it's not important to you, even what you have heard is going to be taken away because it bore no fruit. It bore no fruit to salvation. Now, obviously, you could apply that to your, your way of life as a Christian as well. You've come to know the Lord Jesus, but then it's like one-way ticket to heaven. I'm not really concerned about growing. Well, at some point in time, we need to be because... Uh, uh, you know, we're in danger of perhaps a false profession. So the Lord is warning us again, uh, listen, pay attention, apply, and then you will grow, and I will give you more and more and more, and you'll continue to grow into a, a mature Christian. All right. <clears throat> the kingdom of God, then, is intended to be revealed and received so that people can enter the kingdom by salvation and grow in Christ from that point. Now, the next two parables give aspects of the corporate growth of the kingdom of God. What he said about the lamp, what he said about the measure, that's more personal in nature. That's dealing with your personal growth in relationship to the kingdom of God and its king, the Lord Jesus Christ. But now we're going to look a little bit at the the total uh, uh, aspect of it, the corporate aspect of the kingdom of God. And the first thing we see is that we must trust God for growth in the kingdom as we spread the seed of the gospel. 
Okay, we find that in the parable of the scattered seed. Incidentally, this is exclusive, it's unique to Mark, not found in any other of the parables. And of all the kingdom parables we found in Matthew, we only find these two in Mark. So he's kind of narrowing it down here to the idea of growth in the kingdom of God. So let's take a look at this uh, parable for a moment, uh, beginning in verse 29. And he said, the kingdom of God is like this. All right, he went back, he said, to you have been given the mysteries of the kingdom. Then uh, he says, here's what the kingdom is like. To, uh, uh, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. What's that remind you of? Well, uh, the sower, the farmer, he goes out, he scatters his seed. Well, here we have another picture of that, something very familiar to us. We live in farming country. We don't do it that way anymore, but we understand the scattering of the seed. So this man goes out, this farmer goes out, he scatters the seed. Now, he's not going to have a harvest if he doesn't scatter the seed. Uh, No seed, uh, no harvest, and no food for us to uh, uh, eat uh, uh, next winter. So this is an important thing that he's doing. But after he does that, after he goes out, he scatters his seed on the ground. Uh, What's he do? Well, he just does the normal stuff of life. He should sleep by night, rise by day. So he's just going through the normal routine uh, of life, going about his business. At this point, there's not really anything he can do to make the seed germinate and grow. But it does. It really kind of does by itself. He may be able to do something later after it uh, pops up uh, to enhance its growth. For instance, he could go out and he could pull weeds. He could cultivate. Nowadays, you know, farmers can go out. They can spray to kill weeds and bugs. But you really can't do a lot to ensure that the seed will germinate and develop properly. As a matter of fact, it says here, Uh, that uh, the seed should sprout and grow, and he himself does not know how. Now, we know a lot more about genetics now than they did way back then. But even today, uh, you know, looking at it, it's still not a wonder how the seed, you take a seed, you look at it, it says, how can that thing do anything? It looks dead to me. It's all dried up and shriveled. But you plant it in the ground, and in a few days, it's going to pop up, it's going to germinate, it's going to grow. Uh, That's just the way God made it, and it's a wonderful thing. So he doesn't really understand the process, he just knows you put it in the ground, and from that point on, it's going to, to germinate, it's going to grow. I can't really do a whole lot about that part of this whole process. So the farmer may not fully comprehend what's going on, but... He knows in a few days that everything's taking place the way that it ought to. Okay, then we have that seed itself. That seed germinates. It grows according to its nature. The elements begin to take over. It says here that it sprouts and grows. Then verse 28, for the earth yields crops by itself. In other words, Uh, the yielding by itself, that's emphatic in the verse. It comes first, 
And what it means is it's automatic. We get our English word automatic from the Greek term here. So this automatically takes place. The earth does it. The seed does it as they come together. God's really in control of that whole process. Not a whole lot we can do about it, uh, but we know that that's going to happen. Now, maybe this farmer was a little like my dad and other farmers. After a week or 10 days when you've planted your crop, you, you take your truck and you go out and see if everything's coming up. Because if it does, that's a really good sign. And uh, I remember my dad used to do that on a regular basis. So when the plant then is fully grown uh, in verse uh, 32, it grows up, becomes, uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 28, for the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head. That would be the head of the grain. After that, the full grain in the head. So, uh the process is, is taking place as it should. And when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle and uh, he receives the harvest. So he's talking about this whole process using that uh, mental picture of a farmer planting the seed and eventually the harvest coming. So what does this teach us then about the development of the kingdom of God? Well, uh, one thing is this. <clears throat> our responsibility to spread the seed, to spread the word of God. In each of these parables, the idea of the seed is the spreading of the word of the kingdom. So the man here is not identified other than the fact he goes out and he scatters the seed. Well, we know that Jesus telling this parable is scattering seed. Uh, We know that his disciples are soon going to be involved in the same process. They're going to be scattering the seed of the kingdom. And we continue this process today. That's how the kingdom grows. That's how people get saved. They hear the word of God. We're involved in the process. Back in Psalm 126, verse 6, it says, He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless again uh, come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We, we sang a song about that today. How do you get the sheaves? How do you get the harvest? Well, you go out and spread the word. If you don't spread the word, how can you have a harvest? So we're involved in that part of it. And Jesus' last words to his disciples in all four gospels was the mission of the kingdom as he was about to go back to heaven. You go out and you preach the gospel to every creature. And if we don't scatter the seed, then there's not going to be a harvest of souls in God's kingdom. But when you think about how large God's kingdom is, there ought to be a lot of of scattering of the seed. And we've got to depend upon the Lord, secondly, for the seed planted to come to life and grow. We can't really do anything to make people receive the seed. We can't save their souls. Uh, we cannot force its growth. Uh, we, we can't fully comprehend how the Lord does it, but he does it, and he does it through the scattering of the seed. I remember a story uh, I heard way long ago when I was uh, in graduate school about some fella who would be out uh, passing out tracks, and he was uh, very forceful about it. Uh, One time uh, I heard that uh, he gave a track to somebody, they went down the sidewalk, they threw it down. He ran and picked it up and stuffed it in his shirt. Well, he's very zealous. But I doubt that person received the word. We can't force it into somebody's life. We can't force them to hear it. 
<coughs> we have to leave that up to God. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, when uh, uh, human effort, human ingenuity, human understanding, that doesn't produce the germination of the seed. That's up to God. That's his part of salvation. There's no human formula for success. It all depends on the Lord of the harvest. So let's not be discouraged if we don't see things develop, but let's also not just shrug off and say we don't have to scatter any seed. We need to trust the Lord that when we do, his ultimate purpose will be fulfilled. Maybe we're just going to plant it. Somebody else is going to water it. Somebody else is going to harvest. But God is involved in that whole process, and we have to trust him for it. But there will be a harvest. It's promised here in many other places that at the end, there is going to be a harvest as this fruit receives the the word of God and, and it grows. In another place, the Lord says, the fields are white unto harvest. The grain's ready to be received. The disciples will be involved in the harvest, but the laborers are few, he said in that context. And that's a little different than this parable, though. But it does tell us there is a harvest of souls ready to be plucked. So here in this passage, the harvest probably alludes to the the future day when the Lord comes to reward the righteous who have trusted in him and destroy the wicked who have not. Because he says, when the harvest uh, comes or when the grain's ready, he's going to put in the the sickle and he's going to reap that harvest. And we see that in other contexts in the Bible. Here, it's more on the positive end that he's bringing in uh, the the seed that was sown, uh, the people who have been saved, and uh, they're going to be in the kingdom of God ultimately for all of eternity. So can you imagine <clears throat> that when you think of the whole picture of God's kingdom? Can you imagine all the Old Testament saints who put their trust in the Lord in Old Testament times, looking forward to the Messiah. Then all the New Testament saints who entered the kingdom of God through faith in Christ, that's been going on for 2,000 years. All the tribulation saints who will turn to the Lord Jesus. All the people who get saved in the millennium and uh, the entire harvest then will be taken to be with the Lord in the holy city forever and ever and ever. How many people do you think that will entail? There's no way to tell but there will be this harvest. Okay, so we're to be involved in the harvest, but we've got to trust God for the the growth of it, the development of it. The last thing we want to see in this parable of the mustard seed is that the kingdom of God will marvelously expand from a very small, minute beginning. And again, Jesus uh, uses this parable to compare the kingdom of God to something we understand out of nature. Then he said, to what shall we liken or compare the kingdom of God? Here's another aspect of it. Or with what parable shall we picture it? So again, he's speaking in these parables. Some people are going to get it, some people aren't. Because the disciples are receiving the word of God, they don't quite get it, he'll explain it to them. He will expound it to them. That's what uh, church teaching is all about. That's what preaching is all about. That's what Sunday school is all about. To expound the word of God so that his people uh, will understand it and they can take it in and keep on growing. But we back up here. All right, so what's he going to use here? He's going to use the uh, idea of a mustard seed. 
I'm assuming everybody here likes mustard. Where do you think that comes from? Well, you got to grow it. But in the uh, ancient times, this might be something that you would plant in your little garden. And the seed would be really, really small. Not the smallest seed in the whole world, but in that part of the world, that would be the smallest seed that you would put something in the ground and expect uh, uh, growth in those days. It was proverbial for something very uh, little, very small. And it would have been, as I said, the smallest seed planted in a little garden plot. And it would be used as a condiment, as we do today. Also, the leaves were pretty broad. They were used for different things as well. So what this does, it depicts for us the phenomenal growth of that little tiny seed. Now, the mustard seed was unusual, really kind of amazing, because it could grow to a significant height. It would become something very large in comparison to what was originally planted. Uh, Mark says here uh, that it grows up and becomes greater than all the other herbs in the the garden. Uh, And that would be size-wise, especially from a very small beginning. So it produces branches, he says. It shoots out large branches so the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Uh, There is a species of mustard plant in the Orient that will grow up to 10 or 12 feet from that little tiny seed. And uh, it might be as much as 3 inches in diameter, and it puts out uh, a broad enough branch and leaves that a bird not only perches there, but a bird could actually build a little nest in there. And the leaves, of course, providing some shade uh, to other things in the garden. So what then does this portray about the kingdom of God? Well, the amazing and glorious growth of God's kingdom from very humble beginnings. Now, at the time of this teaching, as Jesus is actually teaching his disciples, how many disciples did he have? Twelve, right? And he did have others. We've, we've seen that out of the great multitudes that came to him almost on a daily basis, there were only a few, there were only a remnant beyond the twelve that actually uh, were following him and were receiving the word and getting more instruction. So he has this kind of small number to begin with. And when Jesus, uh, later at the end of his ministry, after he was arrested, uh, there was a great big crowd gathered for the trials. What did the crowd begin to shout out? Crucify him! Crucify him! These are people that had gone to see his miracles. They'd gone to hear his teaching. They might have had somebody in their family healed. And they all turn on him. So at the time of his death and and crucifixion, there's hardly anybody who's following him. You wait a few uh, weeks later, on the day of Pentecost, how many people have been gathered up in the upper room praying for the return of the Holy Spirit? 120. 120. That's nothing. But, When the Spirit came that day, what happened? Spirit comes on the people. They are filled with the Spirit of God. They begin talking about the mysteries of the kingdom, if you will. 
and praising God and thanking God. And then Peter stands up, he explains what's happening, he preaches the gospel, and by the end of the day, how many people have come to the Lord? 3,000. That's over 300% in one day. And it just mushrooms from that point. Bigger and bigger and bigger, it expands out. The birds of the air, if we go back in the Old Testament, you look at some of the explanations of, of great kingdoms back then, they're described as a tree growing out, branching out, having leaves. And what happens? The birds of the air come and they take their shade there. And the beasts come and, and take their shade there. So the idea might well be uh, a little bit attached anyway to the Gentiles coming to the Lord for salvation. And so by the end of the first century, well, there would be thousands of churches that populated the world of that day. And we come to modern times. We come to 2023, it is now. Christianity is the largest religion in the world. Now, does that mean everybody's saved? Does that mean all the denominations are really preaching the word of God and spreading the seed of the Atu? No. But who who would have expected from that little outfit of a lowly teacher and his band of 12 followers to be such a huge force in the world today? And even right now, when it seems like the kingdom of God is more marginalized than ever, when its presence seems to be waning, it's still a great kingdom. And if you think if only 5% of the world is genuinely saved, that's over 350 million souls. So let's take heart as we apply the truths of these parables. First of all, we have that admonition again to respond to the light that God gives you. If you grew up in a Bible-believing church setting, you had a great privilege and blessing of being exposed to the word of God right almost from your birth. And if you did not, well, at some point, God reached you. You were given the gospel, you responded to it. And in turn, God gave you more light, and you took that in, you started to grow, you started to learn more. And we have have some here who are younger who may not have responded yet to the gospel So don't reject what you hear. Take it in. Listen to it so you understand that you're a sinner. You need to be saved, and Christ is the only one who can save you. And as we come to that point of salvation, we keep on listening and applying the word of God. Secondly, the more you respond to what you're given, the more God will give you to understand. But it does take effort on our part. The less you respond, the less you grow, the less influence you'll have in the, in the kingdom of God. So we've got to keep on responding positively to the word of God. Then, as we saw here, we are responsible to spread the truth of God's uh, kingdom. We're involved in spreading, scattering the seed. We cannot make people believe it. We cannot cram it down their throats, but we can give them the information. We can teach them the word of God then we have to trust God to bring forth the new life. That's God's job 
Our job is to give people his word, the development and the growth, that's his business. So let's be scattering God's word. In a day when it seems, again, the influence of God's kingdom is shrinking, becoming less significant, becoming more marginalized, let's take heart in the uh, promise of a harvest. The church is the current expression of the kingdom. It's not the whole kingdom. It's the current expression. Uh, Where it seems to lose power and influence in our country, we can be sure it is not in other countries. We just don't hear about it a lot. There are millions of people working for the kingdom today that we never even hear about. And there are thousands of people being saved, likely on an everyday basis. But right now, it's the turn of other countries, not ours. And finally, we can take heart in the future coming of the kingdom in power and great glory when Jesus returns as the visible king of the world. And there will be no secrets then. There will be nothing hidden then. Everything will be revealed. Everything that's real is going to come uh, forth, and everybody's going to see that. So until that day arrives... Let's keep the faith, let's scatter the seed, and patiently wait for the harvest. Heavenly Father, we pray today uh, your encouragement from uh, these parables that you taught your disciples so many years ago. Help us, Lord, to learn the lessons. Help us, Lord, to keep on hearing, listening to your word, applying it to our lives that we might grow personally. But Lord, also help us realize that there is a corporate growth of your total kingdom that we can be involved in by scattering the seed. Help us, Lord, not be afraid to do that. Help us to pray for people that we've uh, shared the gospel with. And we do pray, Lord, that you will uh, develop in them a new life, that you will save some according to your will and your purposes. And uh, Lord, help us to be involved in the harvest in that way but also look forward to the great harvest someday when you'll gather all of your people from all ages to serve with you throughout eternity. So bless us with these thoughts. Uh, Convict us where we need it and help us, Lord, uh, to be encouraged, we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.